0: In honor of pride, I'll be talking about one of my favorite films from the past, To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Also, the list of TV and film coming out in July, along with all the details about the new Marvel film *Craven: the Hunter and the difference between the MCU and the SSU. So, let's get into it! I'm your host, Amanda Rose, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Film Folly, where we take a deeper dive into movies by talking about memorable scenes and themes within a film. I like to explore the emotional journey we take when watching movies and have meaningful conversations. Also, there's a lot of entertainment news about your favorite shows and films to keep you informed about what's going on in Hollywood. And just to let you know, if you want to participate in the show, send me a voice memo or email to filmfollypodcast at gmail.com and I'll feature you in an episode. You can also leave your thoughts on whatever movie I'm covering on Facebook and Instagram at Film Folly Podcast or on Twitter at Film Folly Pod. The featured film this week, in honor of Pride, and this episode may come out a little bit after Pride Month, but I really, you know, better late than never. So I really wanted to get this episode out as soon as I could, but it is a little bit later than I was anticipating. But thank you for joining me, as always. But the featured film this week I wanted to do is... A little bit of a throwback, and it's one of my favorites. To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, which was released August 29th of 1995. And it's, you know, there's lots and lots of uh, movies that I could have chosen for Pride Month, um, but I really wanted to choose this one because it's near and dear to my heart, as I've mentioned and it's really fun it's heartwarming and it's funny as well so I think a lot of you may have already seen it I hope you watched it before the episode came out but yeah so I thought a lot of people would enjoy this and hopefully you did as always I'm going to give a little bit of a synopsis uh, at first I don't want to give everything away, um, but I will be talking about some details of the film. So there is going to be some spoilers, but I'm not going to give the ending away. So just in case you were worried, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it did come out in 1995. So, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, you, you really should. But it's really fun. And to start us off here with the synopsis. After trying for the win in New York City's Drag Queen of the Year contest, Miss Noxima Jackson and Miss Vita Bohem win a trip to Hollywood to take part in the even bigger Miss Drag Queen of America pageant. Before they depart, Vita persuades Noxima to take along the inexperienced drag princess, Chichi Rodriguez, as their protege. To do this, they cash in their plane tickets to a friend, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, played by Robin Williams, and used the money to buy a yellow 1967 convertible Cadillac DeVille. In their old but stylish car, they set off on a journey to Los Angeles, carrying with them an iconic autograph photo of Julie Newmar, signed... To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. That Vita ended up taking from a restaurant wall as a totem to inspire them on their journey. The three of them set off on an amusing, heartwarming trip across America, overcoming many difficulties along the way. With style and grace, their journey leads them on a path of self-discovery, while also discovering the power of true friendship. I absolutely love this movie so much. As I mentioned before, it's near and dear to my heart. It came out the summer right before I was about to go into fifth grade, I believe, roughly. (laughs) I don't remember seeing it in the theaters, but we definitely rented it when it eventually came out on video. I remember it being so much fun to watch, and you really just fell in love with all three of the main characters. I found myself dancing around throughout the movie and especially at the end when they get all dressed up. Again, I I did promise I wasn't going to give away the ending, but there's a a big to do at the ending and it's it's hard not to get all excited. So, especially as a kid, I was often found dancing in front of the television. So, this one uh was no exception. But to me, when the iconic opening music comes on, I Am the Body Beautiful by Rachel Portman and salt Peppa. It just puts you right in the mood for this movie and really sets the tone, in my opinion. I love that song. And in researching uh, this, this movie and what I was going to talk about today, I listened to that song several times. It was... <laughs> it was really fun so and it holds up it is a great song you guys should really listen to it they have it on youtube if you're interested in an article from advocate.com by mitch cone an executive who was part of getting the film made recalls details of getting the film off the ground while at amblin Productions, saying he sent the script to steven spielberg and loved it steven loved it But, quote, he needed some confirmation. It wasn't the gay stuff that was worrying him. He just wanted to be sure the script was as funny to other people as he found it. So he sent it to his comedy meter, Robin Williams. The verdict? Make the movie. Robin Williams said he couldn't play the lead, Vida. He was concerned he was too hairy. But he did do a cameo. And then enters Robin Williams. I love this man, as most people typically do. (laughs) You can't find anyone out there who says that they don't like Robin Williams. Come on. But Robin Williams plays Vita and Noxima's friend, who goes by the name of John Jingleheimer Schmidt, who I mentioned earlier in the synopsis. Uh, he gets them cash for their plane tickets in exchange for a good deal on a used car to travel to l a for the pageant. This scene with Robin Williams is on YouTube, and in doing research for this episode, I've watched it several times. I've rewatched that scene several times. It's so great. Ah, oh, I just love it. It's so great to see Robin Williams too. It's uh. Kind of makes me a little sad as well. His performance is brief, but impactful and so funny. Later, the following year in 1996, the film The Birdcage would be released. And I've always wondered if Robin was inspired by Tu Wong Fu in some way, maybe. Another one of my favorite films, The Birdcage. It's a great companion film to Tu Wong Fu, just in case you need another recommendation or a great double feature, especially for Pride Month. Mitch Cohn continues describing what it was like to get the film off the ground. Quote, Finding a director was hard. Every male director passed. Every one of them. The fantastic television miniseries Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit had just premiered in the U.S., and we quickly signed its female director, Bevan Kidron. Finding actors was apparently easy. Wesley Snipes said yes immediately. John Leguizamo, for whom the role of Chigi Rodriguez was written, quickly jumped aboard also. Many actors were interested in the Vita role, and they all consented to screen tests. While good, none of them quite clicked. Patrick Swayze's agent had been insistent that we see him, Mitch Cohn says. So Beban, the director, flew to New York to meet him. Swayze had his own makeup people transform him into a woman, and he insisted that he and Beban take a walk around the city to prove he could pass as a woman. With his beauty and dancer's grace, he did just that. He had the job, end quote. In interviews with the three main characters, they describe how they prepared for their now iconic roles. Swayze was quoted saying, The challenge I think it was, could I really pull this lady off? Because Miss Vita, she in many ways propels the emotional through line and she had to be filled with love and compassion and a nurturing spirit. I found in rehearsal every time I started playing her like Miss Thang, and going out there and being all outrageous, I realized I'd blow this character if I did that. She had to be real. If you're going to put this big drag queen in scenes with a serious actress like Stalker Channing or Blythe Danner or whoever, she had to be real he added. You had to get sucked into her emotional life and really care about her. So what started out to be a fun, larky, you know, where I was going to just have a kick and be outrageous, it turned out to be the most emotional experience I've ever had, says Swayze. Wesley Snipes discussed how he drew upon Maya Angelou, Bette Midler, his grandmother, and groundbreaking black actor Roscoe Lee Brown to fill Noxima's heels. Quote, My grandmother is the humor, and Bette Midler is the walk. You know... Her whole type of jiggle, type of walk, Snipe said. And Maya and Roscoe, they had a command and control over the English language and words. They make words sound like it's a food dish, you know. So I thought that it was a good thing for Naxima, who was very arts-educated and cultural, to be able to use words in a very romantic type of fashion. John Leguizamo revealed to Gumble that it took, quote, hours and hours in front of the mirror, walking back and forth to master the physicality of the characters with some help from the drag queen coaches who he called, quote, guardian angels, except they were more like dominatrixes. Leguizamo goes on to say that the drag queens on set taught him how to walk the walk and talk the talk by getting his hips right and sashay and swish around with attitude. He said quote, I knew it was going to rock. I mean, if you put Wesley, me, and Patrick together, you got the four corners of the universe, black, white, Latin, going crazy. It's got to work. It's got to rock, end quote. Drag queen Alaska said that what the film does best is, quote, the camaraderie between the girls, the way they look out for each other and protect one another. The movie also illustrates the transformative power of drag. It helps people become empowered no matter where they come from or what kind of life they lead, end quote. For me, this really is such a lovely and fun movie. Tu Won Fu explores the themes of self-expression and individuality, tolerance, and acceptance of gender identity and sexual orientation. The main characters challenge societal norms and stereotypes as they embrace their own identities and express themselves authentically. The movie showcases the transformative power of self-acceptance and self-confidence. The characters go through personal journeys, overcoming their own insecurities and fears, and ultimately find empowerment and a sense of belonging. I feel like we can all relate to many aspects of Tu Wong Fu, no matter your background. While there are many very important LGBTQ films out there, I really feel like Tu Wang Fu brought drag culture and the art of drag into the mainstream consciousness within the U.S., It introduces a wider audience to the world of drag queens, their performances, and the challenges they faced. Along with the fame of RuPaul, the exposure of this film also helped to increase the acceptance and understanding of drag as an art form. Ru even makes a cameo appearance at the end of the film. Tu Wong Fu really shows the audience that drag queens are strong, confident, and caring individuals. The film celebrates self-expression and promoted the idea that gender identity in presentation do not define a person's worth or abilities. So I hope you were able to enjoy the film or th- at the very least enjoy my conversation around the film with themes and uh, just talking about some of the great memorable moments and things like that. I had a really great time going down memory lane or researching this movie and getting all the details of behind the scenes and some of the the comments from uh, the main actors, uh, the wonderful three main actors. And it was really great finding all these details about the film and how it got made and, and the work that went into getting it started because There really wasn't much out there that had to do with drag queens, uh, especially during this time when it came out in 1995. So it was really kind of at the forefront, along with a a couple others, obviously. But uh, it was one of the mainstream films, I would say, that uh, really got a lot of viewership. And um, it was definitely a hit. One last thought I had on the film. As I mentioned, I was quite young when I saw the movie. And as a kid, I remember most about this film. Obviously, it was really, really fun, especially for a kid. It always put me in such a joyous mood, you know, after seeing this film. And, you know, we've rewatched it over and over again over the years and, You know, even in my middle school and high school days and and even as an adult, it's been a while since I had seen it. Some of the takeaways I noticed most about the film as a child seeing it is the confidence that these drag queens had. And I remember being just really kind of in awe of it. Um, I'm not the kind of person who is very confident. I've always had confidence issues, uh, in general, and no one really encouraged me to have a lot of confidence. Um, as a kid, it it wasn't like something that was, that just wasn't a thing. I, I guess you could say being proud of yourself and being proud of what you could do. There was really no kind of praise um, in in showing confidence. it was mostly because I didn't have much confidence. so I don't know if that I don't know if that really makes sense, but um, even as an adult, I have a really hard time um, with public speaking. so that's why this is really interesting that I decided to do this. Um, but in honor of the spirit of the film, It's kind of ironic that in recording this episode in particular, I kind of discovered something of myself, and I feel like I've been really hard on myself with this podcast episode and the podcast in general. But with this episode in particular, I lately I've been having confidence issues, and I probably could have gotten this episode out probably five days ago (laughs) And that was really disappointing me. And I was I couldn't figure out why I was having such a hard time getting up the confidence to to record this episode. I enjoy doing this podcast so much. Who wouldn't want to talk about film and TV? And it's I enjoy it. It's fun. I love getting the deep dives and thinking about films in a more deep way as far as themes and, and even the impact that some films can have on one's life and how the lessons that is discovered in these films can really kind of help you on your life journey in certain ways. So uh, it can help you re Realize things in yourself. And it's interesting that in this film where these drag queens seem to exude and they do exude a lot of confidence, it's something that I need to work on with myself. And I came to discover that I tend to procrastinate when I don't feel confident in myself. And I think that's what happened with this episode. Like I said, I think I could have gone out probably 5 days prior to when it's actually being released but I kept having a hard time coming to it not because I didn't love this film that I that I chose for the feature this week I it's one of my favorites but I I need to work on being co- more confident and that's something that <laughs> I'm being a little vulnerable about but uh you know my friends, uh, my close friends, will know that I am not a very good public speaker. But I also don't want to go throughout life being scared all the time. Um, there's this great phrase in the movie *Under the Tuscan Sun*, where she's kind of having this breakdown on the bed, and and the the Italian guy who was kind of her realtor, I guess you could say in a way, uh, he. Would always come by and check on her and see if she needed help or anything like that. He was a very sweet guy, and he she says something where she says "I'm just tired of being afraid all the time and so this podcast is kind of a way for me to push myself and show myself that I can do what I set out to do even even if it's not something that ends up being listened to a lot you know this is early days of the podcast and right now there's not a huge amount of listeners but i appreciate every single one of you who do listen so thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed uh the featured film this week okay moving on to my next segment uh tv i'm watching now And I don't think you guys will be too shocked when I say that I was watching The Witcher Volume 1 uh, this past Friday. It came out on June 29th, and it was really excellent. I was totally engrossed in it. And it was really nice to see different aspects of Geralt. Um, If you're familiar with the show, you'll know the different sides of Geralt, the kind of grumpy snowman, but uh, the very layered, uh, layered grumpy snowman. He's not, he's not just a big grump. He's got a lot of heart. And uh, Henry Cavill seems to really have made sure that he was a multifaceted character that is just not this grumpy snowman. So I really enjoyed The Witcher Volume 1. I think it was the first five episodes, and I highly recommend it, especially if you're into fantasy, if you're a fan of The Witcher um, books and the video game. Yeah, so there's been also a lot of controversy, and I've talked about this in previous episodes of the podcast, that. Season three is the last season that Henry Cavill will be playing Geralt of Rivia. And it's really, really sad. I can't, (laughs) I can't sugarcoat the fact that I'm really, really sad that he's not going to be playing Geralt of Rivia in any future um, seasons. And there's been this big boycott, you know, people online talking about how they're not going to watch any further seasons after season three because Henry Cavill won't be in it but I really love this and I'm kind of undecided myself I had that initial gut reaction I have to say that I was like okay well then season three is gonna be the last season I watched because I was kind of upset at first and I felt like probably Henry Cavill got the wrong end of the deal here but I you know I don't know any of the inside details of what goes on, and I'm sure there's a lot. This may have been his choice. I know there was a lot of creative differences that he had. He's very passionate about The Witcher books, The Witcher game. And I get the sense from some of the latest comments that he's made in public Um, Just talking about the new season of The Witcher, he hasn't been doing a lot of press, but he did go on stage with his co-stars and just said some really wonderful, nice, caring words about his co-stars. He made a comment which makes me think that um, he may not be the only one who has some creative differences, but... Uh, He made a comment uh, saying something to the effect of how his co-stars do a really wonderful job of creating depth and layer with their characters when they might be in jeopardy of becoming really one layer or dumbed down. So he didn't say those words exactly, but that's the essence of what he was saying there. And again, I still have torn feelings About his replacement. Nothing against Liam Hemsworth or anything along those lines. He's a great actor as well, but it's really, really difficult to fill the shoes and recast someone who is so integral to the success of this series. And I worry about the future of this series. And I really love it. And I think the reason, too, why I really love it is not just because of Henry Cavill. While that is a big reason, but I also really, really enjoy uh, the other actors on the show, especially Anya Shalotra, who plays Yennefer, and Freya Allen, who plays Siri, and Joey Bette, who plays Yaskier. And uh, the list goes on and on. Everyone in that show um, does a really great job and really makes the show what it is and really provides a lot of wonderful character development, really provides a lot of emotion and really gets you hooked on the show. And this show in particular, I feel like I really fell in love with the performances and the characters themselves First, as opposed to to the storyline and the actors really make it what it is today. You know, that's why I keep watching. And uh, like I said, I'm a little undecided as to whether or not I'm going to continue the series. If I do continue the series, it will be in support of Anya Shalatra and Freya and Joey and all the other um, actors, because they do a wonderful job, especially um especially the first 3 with the chemistry that they have all together is really wonderful. You can tell that they're just really comfortable with each other on scene and it it really provides a seamless performance in conveying all the depth and emotions that each of these characters have. So I really loved it. I love seeing this you know, volume one. So the next volume is going to be out July 27th. So I have to wait for the next five episodes um, to watch volume two. And then that will be it for Henry Cavill as Geralt and... It will be very sad, but well done to all the other actors uh, and everything along those lines. They have also put in a lot of hard work, and I can tell because it really translates on screen. It's a great show. And I really enjoyed how Gerald uh, this season seemed so much softer. He's been taking care of Siri. And him and Yennefer and Ciri are just a beautiful little family unit. You see really great, playful moments with them. Uh, Of course, Yennefer and Geralt are in the process of repairing their relationship uh, due to Yennefer's betrayal in the last season. She's really doing everything she can to show that she will do anything to protect Siri, And it's really sweet to see them, and especially Geralt, be, you know, like a father figure. And he's a lot softer than he used to be, uh, while still being stern in areas that, you know, in, in his occasional grumpy face <laughs> uh, and whatnot. But he, you can tell he really sees the value in his friendships Um, especially with Joey. He cares about them, and he's not as afraid to show his affection in in caring for Joey and Yennefer. Um, Even though he still has a lot of anger towards Yennefer, he still very much cares about her, and that really shows through. And of course, with Ciri as well, who is pretty much like his child. So... Um, she, Siri still has a lot of growing up to do, and you can see that in her character development in this season. She's impatient and a little, uh, stubborn, and, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I, I, I really did love the, the series, and I'll probably, I'll probably rewatch the whole thing, the five episodes before the the new volume two comes out July 27th. So check that out. If you are into fantasy, if you haven't already seen it, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Lots of people have lots of thoughts and especially about the writers of the show and the creator of the show and, you know, staying close to source material deviating from source material comments from the past about the writers not liking the source material and, and that's gotten a lot of, you know, original fans of both the games and the books really upset. So there's a lot of kind of background drama (laughs) about this show, but I don't really watch it for that. I Watch it for the characters, honestly. Um, Yennefer, in particular, aside from Geralt, my two... Well, it's hard to pick favorites because I do really love um, Yaskier as well. But um, my two probably top favorites is obviously Geralt. um, But the other one is Yennefer and especially in season one, her, her character arc was just so amazing to me. And how can you not kind of relate to those feelings of not having the the self-worth that you should in yourself? And uh, no matter what you look like, you know, she was at the beginning of season one, she was disfigured and, and everything along those lines. And she didn't have a lot of self-worth and people treated her horribly. um, Because of her disfigurement, they treated her kind of like trash, unfortunately. And it's really sad to see. And to me, it was so inspiring to see her come into her confidence. There's that word again, confidence. (laughs) Uh, It seems to be popping up a lot in this episode. Uh, She really gains that confidence in herself first, despite how people treat her And despite being beaten down, she really brings herself back up and she's determined to learn her magic. And she becomes one of the most powerful mages that there is. And my heart was really rooting for her, even though she has some tendencies to uh, make some wrong decisions. And sometimes she makes decisions out of anger or selfishness Um, but she grows uh, throughout the series and again that's why she's one of my favorite characters in this season three she really becomes humbled and she she also recognizes what's important in life that her friends are important and the love that she has for Geralt is important she's now willing to sacrifice um, what's you know, her life for what is important to her. And it's uh, it's really great. So I'm going on and on and on, but it is really great and I do recommend that. And that is um, the TV I am watching this, this week. So I hope you enjoy if you decide to watch it. So on this next segment, I wanted to go over upcoming films uh, and film premieres in july so you guys know what's coming up now again this is in no means um a comprehensive list but it's something to watch out for there's a little bit here for everyone i will uh, give the dates and the genre and some some instances i'll give some actors um just to kind of see if it sparks your interest and um, yeah, we'll go from there. And then I'm going to go into TV that's coming up in July after that. So the first thing I have is Insidious, The Red Door, which is a horror movie. I think most people have heard of the Insidious horror franchise. And uh, it's very popular. And they're even doing a spin off movie. And I think I mentioned that last week uh, with Mandy Moore and Kumail Nanjiani. So that should be really interesting. Again, Insidious, The Red Door comes out July 7th. The film Joyride also comes out July 7th. That is a comedy uh, with Ashley Park, who's in, you may recognize her. She's in... Emily in Paris as Emily's friend one of the expats that she meets in Paris and becomes friends with so you will probably recognize her from that and that is out July 7th as well also uh, another one out July 7th is Earth Mama which is a coming-of-age drama Biosphere, which also comes out July 7th. We have a lot of July 7th films coming out. And that is a fantasy comedy, which stars Sterling K. Brown from the show This Is Us. So you'll recognize him in that film. The Outlaws comes out July 7th. It is a comedy adventure film with Nina Dobrev. And you'll recognize her from the vam- the TV show The Vampire Diaries. Also actors in it is Adam Devine. And you'll recognize him from Workaholics, Pitch Perfect Films, um, as well as Pierce Brosnan, who needs no introduction. Come on. Pierce Brosnan's also in it. So that, again, that comes out July 7th, and that's called The Outlaws. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. That comes out July 12th. And of course, if you don't know, do I really have to say it's an action adventure film? So and it has all of our favorites. Um, If you're not familiar with that, I don't know what you're doing here. (laughs) I'm just joking. So that comes out July 12th. Theater Camp comes out July 14th. And that is a comedy about staff members at a New York theater camp who band together when their founder falls into a coma. And that should be pretty funny. That, again, comes out July 14th. Bird Box Barcelona comes out July 14th as well. It's a spinoff from the Netflix movie from uh, with Sandra Bullock. You'll probably recognize the Bird Box uh, film. That came out a few years ago now. But this one is obviously um, taking place in Spain and with an all-new cast. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. And that comes out July 14th. The highly anticipated film Oppenheimer comes out July 21st, and that's a war-slash-drama movie. And you'll recognize lots of people in this. uh, It is a highly anticipated film. Lots of A-list actors here. It stars Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer, and you'll recognize him from Peaky Blinders, if you don't know who he is. But also, Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Florence Pugh. Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, and again, the list of fantastic actors goes on. So again, that comes out July 21st. Barbie is another anticipated film coming out uh, that will be released in theaters July 21st. That is, of course, a comedy, if you didn't quite guess that, Uh, with another outstanding cast, Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Will Ferrell, Issa Rae, America Ferrera, Kate McKinnon, John Cena, Helen Mirren, and she's the actually the narrator of the film, um, and so many familiar fa- faces. I can't name them all here, but again, a lot of great actors in the Barbie movie out July twenty first. And if you are looking for another horror film, Cobweb is out July twenty first. Next up is They Cloned Tyrone, which is out July 21st. And that is a mystery fantasy. And that stars um, Jamie Foxx and John Boyega. And I'm sure many of you have heard that uh, Jamie Foxx unfortunately had a medical emergency on one of the film sets that he was recently filming on, and it was pretty serious. So I definitely wish uh, Jamie Foxx a safe and swift recovery. But his film, They Clone Tyrone, is out July 21st. Haunted Mansion is out July 28th. It's a Disney live-action fantasy comedy. It's uh, I think most people are pretty familiar with Haunted Mansion. There's lots of familiar faces again with this film. Jared Leto is in it. Owen Wilson, Tiffany Haddish, Ryan Gosling, Jamie Lee Curtis, Danny DeVito, Rosario Dawson, Winona Ryder, Hassan Minhaj and Dan Levy is in it. So lots of great, great actors in this one. So this one should be really, really fun. Again, Haunted Mansion, out July 28th. Next one up is Sympathy for the Devil, which is out July 28th, and that is a mystery with Nicolas Cage and Joel Kinnaman. The Beanie Bubble is out July 28th, and that's a comedy with Elizabeth Banks and Zach Galifianakis. It has to do with the the very popular Beanie Baby plush toys, I guess you could call them. They were all the rage when I was a kid, especially, I think, gosh, I'm trying to remember when they came out, but I believe they started coming out when I was in elementary school, probably fourth or fifth grade, and then went into middle school. But uh, yeah, people went nuts over Beanie Babies. So this is a comedy film. I don't know if it's based on true events, honestly, but uh, it has Elizabeth Banks in it and Zach Galifianakis. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be hilarious. And that's out July 28th. Now for upcoming TV that's going to be coming out in July, the first one I have here on the list is The Lincoln Lawyer. Season two, out on Netflix, July 6th. And I really liked the first season. I enjoyed it a lot. And I might actually have to do a little rewatch of the, the first season because I uh, I don't quite remember. It's been a while, so I I don't quite remember what happened in season one. Sometimes I have to do that because it's a year or sometimes more since the next season com- will come out and I have to rewatch the the previous season. But um, I remember really, really enjoying The Lincoln Lawyer season one. So season two is out July 6th and I will definitely be watching. Next up on the list is The After Party, which is season two on Apple TV And that is out July 12th. Another one of my favorites, What We Do in the Shadows, season five on FX and Hulu is out July 13th. I am so excited for this one. Uh, Again, I might have to rewatch the last season, mostly because I just want to watch it again. Not necessarily because I can't remember what happened, but it's just so fun and I just, I love it so much. The Summer I Turned Pretty Season 2 is out on Amazon Prime Video July 14th. Foundation Season 2 is out on Apple TV Plus on July 14th. Justified City Primeval series debut, which is a continuation of the Justified series. But this one is called Justified City Primeval. Uh, is out on FX and Hulu on July 18th. And I know Justified was a very, very popular TV series. Well, they are continuing it. They're bringing it back, is out July 18th on uh, FX and Hulu. And next up on the list is Minx, which is out on Stars, And that is out on July 21st. Special Ops Lioness series debut on Paramount Plus July 23rd. And that one I'm really looking forward to. I don't currently have Paramount Plus, but I might have to do a a month subscription in order to to watch this show Uh, (laughs) because it has Zoe Saldana in it and I love her so much. Uh, I'm going to have to sign up for, for this show, at least for... Um, one month so I can watch the entire series (laughs) and next up is son of a critch which is uh, a series debut is on the CW and that's July 24th I believe that's a comedy children ruin everything season two also on the CW and that is July 24th again I think that is a comedy And The Witcher, as I talked about previously, The Witcher Volume 2, Season 3, is out on Netflix July 27th. Twisted Metal, Season Debut on Peacock, is out on July 27th. Heels, Season 2, is out on Stars July 28th. This Fool, Season 2, is out on Hulu July 28th. Dark Winds, Season 2, out on AMC Plus, July 30th. The Bump, Season 2, out on The CW, July 31st. And now it's time for Hollywood News. this week, our Hollywood news. This article comes from Nerdist and it's entitled Everything We Know About Craven the Hunter movie. Sony Pictures Spider-Man universe is ever expanding and coming up on us very soon is Craven the Hunter. Sony's Craven the Hunter film has been in the works for some time now, but it has finally turned a corner with Aaron Taylor Johnson as Kraven, suiting up for his third different superhero project, we know we're in for quite a treat. In the original Marvel comics, Sergei Kravinoff is born into an aristocratic Russian family. He becomes a world-famous international big game hunter who tries to catch the ultimate and elusive prize, Spider-Man. The villain first shows up in the Amazing Spider-Man No. 15 comic in 1964. The Stan Lee, Steve Ditko creation is a founding member of the Sinister Six. Later stories show witch doctor Calypso giving Kravenoff an herbal potion, granting him enhanced speed and senses that match those of a wild jungle cat. In Craven, the Hunter, it seems like we'll get an original story for the Spider-Man villain. Take a look at the trailer. I watched it recently and I saw that it was all over Instagram. So I'm pretty sure if you follow any of the Marvel stuff, On Instagram, you probably have seen the trailer pop up, but it looks really action packed and it looks really good so far. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It looks like something different than the typical superhero movies. And again, this is a villain that we're being introduced in the Spider-Man universe. So yeah, it'll be something different that uh, I'm kind of looking forward to. But unlike Venom, the character of Craven has never had a shelf life outside of being a Spider-Man villain, so it's hard to see how they are going to create a narrative around the character. There is no news of Tom Holland's appearing in the movie so far. One angle they could go with is Craven coming to the big city, looking to hunt down Spider-Man as the ultimate prize. But seeing as this is all Craven's point of view, we'd never see Spider-Man without his mask on. This means anyone could play him. So far, we don't see indication of that, but we do see another Spider-Man villain in the trailer. Rhino, played by Alessandro Nivola, will join the Sony Marvel Universe. Additionally, the trailer offers up a lot of primal violence and blood, this includes Craven biting off someone's nose and spitting it directly at the camera. There are also knives, guns, and even crossbows involved. Craven the Hunter will unsurprisingly be Sony's first R rated Marvel movie. As Aaron Taylor Joy Johnson eloquently noted at Sony's panel at CinemaCon earlier this year at Comic Con, will it be R rated? He responds with, fuck yes, it will be R rated. <laughs> he seems excited about it so just to clarify because this seems a little complicated on the back end this is a sony spider-man universe film and apparently not a part of the mcu even though both sony and marvel studios portray the character in their separate films. Sony Sam Rami Spider-Man trilogy films are from 2002 to 2007, starring Tobey Maguire as the character and Mark Webb's amazing Spider-Man films from 2012 to 2014, starring Andrew Garfield in the role as part of the SSU. While, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is a part of the MCU. The Marvel films Venom and Morbius are also a part of the SSU and not the MCU. Those who are diehard comic fans will know the difference. However, I did not until recently, so I thought I would pass on what I've learned so far. This information comes from comicbook.com and Screen Rant. And even now, when I describe a lot of this information, I still get a little confused in my head. But it's good to know the separation in universes. And I think this would be beneficial to anyone who may not know, such as myself initially. And, you know, feels as though they might be a little confused as to the multiverse concept. So, why do we see separate Spider-Man films from Sony and Marvel Studios? Way before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Disney, and everything we see today, Marvel wasn't always a behemoth. The company nearly made itself extinct towards the late 90s. Having focused largely on its publishing efforts for the vast majority of its then 60-year life, The early and mid-1990s were unkind. So much so, the company went under a restructuring from Marvel Comics. After a mass exodus of Marvel's creators, the company's publishing efforts led the company straight into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. By the end of 1996, knowing that Marvel characters could make money with Marvel licenses, but not wanting to waste a major name on a test, They struck a deal with New Line Cinema to license the rights to Blade and associated characters to make a film. Despite the fact Blade, a half-vampire known as Eric Brooks, wasn't a big name from the Marvel Library at the time, Marvel thought an adult movie featuring one of Hollywood's most known actors at the time could kickstart something major, and kickstart it did. When all was said and done, Blade ended up earning about $131 million worldwide, and Marvel made a killing out of one of its least known characters. Suddenly, the offers quickly started to come in and, like every other outfit in Hollywood, Sony was interested in getting in on the cash cow. Not only that, the studio was interested in the largest Marvel character they had to offer, Spider-Man. Peter Parker was one of Marvel's biggest characters since his inception and film rights for the character had already been bouncing around for decades. After Blade made it big at the box office, however, Sony went straight to the top. After options at 21st Century Films and Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer expired, Marvel secured the film's rights to the character the second the company emerged from bankruptcy in 1998. Now a deal could be made, but Sony didn't want to be in the business of licensing. Still reeling from a Chapter 11 reorganization, Marvel agreed to flat out sell the film rights to Spider-Man and his expansive library of characters to Sony. And that is how Sony got its hands on Spider-Man and how it retains ownership of the film rights today. Since then, there have been a few changes in the deal, including the two deals Disney and Sony have struck to allow the character to appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or the MCU. So, all that to explain why Kraven the Hunter is a part of the Sony Spider-Man universe SSU, and not a part of the MCU. Now, even though the Sony Spider-Man films are separate from the MCU Spider-Man films, Marvel's multiverse has provided several additional layers on how things that appear to be impossible are in fact made possible. In Spider-Man No Way Home, Sony and Marvel Studios teamed up on this MCU Spider-Man film and as part of wrapping up Tom Holland's first MCU trilogy as Spider-Man, Marvel Studios and Sony pulled off arguably one of the most rewarding cinematic crossovers of all time. Spider-Man No Way Home tied together all three live-action versions of the hero on the big screen, and it was made possible thanks to Marvel's burgeoning multiverse. So hopefully that clears up some confusion that I was hearing about online with how Kraven the Hunter fits into the Spider-Man universe. I know I was confused, so I hope this is helpful for you guys. One other thing to note about Craven the Hunter, you will probably recognize the Craven actor Aaron Taylor Johnson from the previous MCU films as Pietro Maximoff as Quicksilver, the Romani speedster and twin brother of the sorceress Scarlet Witch who died in Avengers Age of Ultron giving his life to protect Hawkeye, who was in the middle of saving a child. Some fans are not super happy that creators of the Craven The Hunter films have recycled the Marvel actor for now a new Marvel character. However, I will point out here that our beloved Chris Evans originally played Johnny Storm as the Human Torch in the early 2000s Fantastic Four film. I'm sure people were not super happy that Evans was playing a new Marvel character as Captain America when it eventually came out, but people really loved him as Captain America. So I think we should give Aaron Taylor Johnson a chance here. He looks completely different from the Quicksilver character, so we will have to see how people respond to him in Craven the Hunter, after they see it. And that's going to do it for this episode, friends. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to sincerely thank you all very much for listening. If you'd be so kind as to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, that would really help me reach more people. I'm an independent podcaster, and your support really means a lot to me. If you'd leave a written review, I'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook and Facebook at Film Folly Podcast or on Twitter at Film Folly Pod. If you prefer contacting me by email, feel free to do so at Film Folly at gmail.com for the featured film next week to prepare yourselves. I was really in love with this film that I saw recently. It was on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, it was originally released in 2022. It's called Vengeance, and it's from director B.J. Novak. And Vengeance is a darkly comedic thriller about a podcaster who travels from New York City to west texas to investigate the death of a girl but it's not just that and you i really honestly thought it was going to be something completely different than what it kind of turned out to be and i was very pleasantly surprised so the description of the film does give some generalities but there's a lot more that goes on with it and i really really enjoyed this one so i wanted to talk about it for next week And I hope you enjoy it. So have fun with that. And I will leave you for now, friends. Take care.